Good evening, church. Uh, will you turn with me to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. I just want to make a comment about, you know, at Christmas time, we, we sing Emmanuel. Emmanuel is one of the most powerful names uh, of Jesus. Do you know that um, there are two things that are incredibly cruel theology? One is atheism, that there is no God. That it's just this cruel universe that's indifferent to you, indifferent to your suffering. Everything is an accident. It's just evolution. Everything is just a big bang and... Nothing produced something which is indifferent to everything. That's atheism. It doesn't hear your cry. It's indifferent. There is no God. That's atheism. The half-brother of atheism is deism. If you go study theology, it's called deism. Deism is that he is a God. He created, but he basically wound up the universe like a clock, and he lets it run and he's not involved in it. There's no God to pray to. Both are cruel. They're both related. But the beauty of Emmanuel is God with us. I am close to you. Jesus is Emmanuel. And he's very close. They say prayerlessness is practical atheism. Praying is practical theology. That God is close. And last Sunday, I shared something. Do you know? They said it's a very happy time. Very, a lot of nice bubbly feelings. A lot of fizz and a lot of decorations. But they say, you know what? There's a, a psychologist by the name of Cliff Arnold. He worked out the most depressing day of the year. And they came to a conclusion it's 24th of January. And they worked out a number of factors. Why? Because, well, the Christmas tree is gone. The visitors, your visitors gone. The credit card is in overdraft. They're back to school. The grind is 24 months. And you're back to the grind. And they said, you know, the 24th, that's when Suicides Anonymous, uh, Lifeline, they start getting their calls. It's around that time. Good Samaritan, they get their calls, and there's counseling, and there's... And I said, that's why, but you know, he's always Emmanuel, even on the 24th of January. He's still here, he never left. And that's the time we should put out the tree. We should start going and singing and telling people, no, Jesus never left. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. He's still here. You know, I'm really planning to take a Christmas tree to Nuhun Beach. 24th of January singing, 24th of February singing, oh come let us adore him. And then the people will say, why are you gone? He said, well, Jesus is still here, you know. So you don't have to be depressed. This is the day the Lord has made. The 24th of January is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice in it. Hallelujah. He's Emmanuel. He's Emmanuel. The world may say it's depressing, but we, of all people, should say, our oh, Jesus has never left. Can I pray for you? Do you know him? Hallelujah. 
You know, um, uh, I'm going to pray just on three points, and I'm going to try to keep it like rice, short three points. <laughs> short, sharp, and to the point. So you're going to go and have your chocolate. Uh, the three points are one, and it's about prayer. The gift of God's presence in prayer, that's one. That's one heading. Number two, God's purpose in prayer, glorifying his name. And the last one, God's power demonstrated in prayer, the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Those are the three. Do you know, um, one of the most powerful evangelists in Asia is an English lady by the name of Jackie Pullinger. How many of you know Jackie Pullinger? She wrote Chasing the Dragon. She, as a young, single English lady, uh, she did an incredible work. She got on a ship. She said, Lord, where do you want to lead me? She left England. She left and she moved. And then she landed up in Hong Kong, of all places. And she landed up in the, one of the darkest and most dangerous and difficult places in the world, in the gangster land of Hong Kong where you have the triad. You think the mafia is bad. If you encounter the triad, they are ten times worse. They deadly. And there's prostitution, there's drugs, there's ganglands, there's drug lords. And she went there. And she did an incredible, powerful work that to this day, drug lords got saved, their testimonies, people got saved, prostitutes repenting, and just wonderful, powerful, miraculous testimony um, of the work that she did. And somebody asked, her, interviewed her and said, Jackie, um, were you called to Hong Kong? And she said a very powerful reply. And it's this one, Corinne. She said, no, I wasn't called to Hong Kong. I was called into fellowship with Jesus. That's what I was called to. And out of that fellowship came the work. And you and I are called into fellowship with a person, not a ministry, not a whatever title. And it says in 1 Corinthians 1, God who has called you, that's everyone here in the room, God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, he is faithful. Hallelujah. And we must ever remember that that is our calling. God, God desires fellowship with you and me before ministry. A deep fellowship, knowing him as a friend. God has called us into fellowship with his son. His greatest gift is his presence. And I said this morning, you know, God desires worship. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, the Lord is looking, the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. And a worshiper is a person who cherishes and, tre and treasures two things of God. Number one, his glory. And number two, his presence. Those are the two things. His presence and His glory. And I shared this morning when I was a young Christian in the other church I was, I was only there two years, and uh, they suddenly um, selected me to be a, a cell leader. 
And by the way, they put people who were grannies and grandpas. One of the people in my cell group was the father of the elder. And I tried to get out of this. I, I, I panicked. I mean, I really panicked. They, were, they selected three or four of us, and I was one. And I was single. I, was, I, was, uh, I wasn't even living in my own house. And, and I tried to think of every conceivable way to duck out of this. Every excuse. They said, yeah, you selected. Think about it. And then in a week's time, we will let me know your answer. And I had nine good answers. And then in a week's time, I phoned back to the elder. And I was like, I was like, really? I've got to get out of this. And like I said, you know, the closest thing is like somebody took a hand grenade, pulled the pin, and just handed it to me. It was like a smoking grenade. And I panicked, and after a week, I phoned the, the, the elder, Andre, and I said, Andre, you know, um, I think you really made a mistake this time. You know, uh, I, I can't be an elder for this, this, and I had my reasons. And he said, oh, Neville, you know, don't worry. You know, God, you're not going to drown, you know. God, I'm throwing you in the deep end, but he'll give you grace. And then he put the phone down. And I said, Lord, you know, he's not listening, so I better go to you. What do you say? And I went down, and I prayed, and I prayed. I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do with these 10 people? You know, I, I, it's not just every Tuesday or Wednesday, it's asking, how are you, how are you, how are you? You know, here's the Aspera, here's a Panada for you, and, you know, and thing. And I said, you know, there must be more to it. After a year, what am I supposed to do with these people? And I'll never forget, the answer was, it came direct. And he said, I remember the sentence. He said, Neville, if you can make worshippers out of them, I'll be satisfied. I've never seen that before. I said, oh, is that? So that's the, I suppose you, worshippers are not automatic. He said, if you can make worshippers out of them, I'll be satisfied. And that's what the Lord wants of each one of us, to be worshippers, that we treasure God's glory and treasure God's presence fellowship with him more than anything else and he desires to fellowship with you called into fellowship with his son here's another text that proves in mark chapter 3 jesus after an all-night prayer meeting in the morning he hears the father he knows the father tells him this one and this one and this one and this one are to be the group of your first disciples in the morning Jesus calls him. And it's interesting, it says in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And this is, sometimes the Holy Spirit has to stop us dead when we read a sentence because we just fly over it because it looks very mundane and we go to the spectacular. It says, Jesus called them, disciples, to him that, that, number one, they might be with him. Number two, that they might preach the gospel. And number three, to have authority to cast out demons. Now, naturally in us, we, we see, oh, casting out the demons. Wow, look at that. Preaching the gospel to thousands and crowds. Yeah, we forgot the first part. That they might be with him. Out of that, being with him was the secret to that power. Not the other way around. You, you know, if you take a, a, a piece of metal... And it's just metal. It just doesn't act like a magnet. But if you take that metal and rub it and rub it and rub it and rub it against a magnet, 
afterwards it starts to be like the magnet. It starts to take the properties of a magnet. And it starts to do what the magnet was doing. And those three years, they walked. Jesus wanted them to be close with him. And that's what he wants of us. To be with him. Lord, I want to be with you. I want to have time with you. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, you see this uh, Moses, the man of God, under huge pressure. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's had a confrontation with the Pharaoh. And now he's bringing them up. He goes and he gets the Ten Commandments and uh, all that's happening. And the glory of the Lord is there. And the people of Israel are on a suicide mission. They do everything to attract the judgment of God on them. They go to a golden calf. There they just saw the glory of God on the mountain. They saw the glory of God destroying Egypt. They set free. And now they just about invite God to wipe them out. They worship the golden calf. And the whole thing is a disaster area and Moses is under huge, huge pressure because God said, I'll wipe them out and I'll make a new thing. And, and he cries out to God on behalf of the nation. And under that pressure, God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to take a tent. And this is for each of us in the stressful modern life. You know, the more modern life gets, the more stressful it seems to be. Just, just trying to live a normal life is incredible stress. And, and, Moses, and God says to Moses, take a tent, pitch it some distance away, probably a kilometer away from everybody, and there I'll meet with you. And the beautiful thing in Exodus 33, it said, there God would meet with his servant Moses and talk to him face to face as a man talks to his friend. You know, that, that's the kind of relationship God wants of you and me. It's not exclusive to Moses. He said, I want to meet with you, friend to friend, face to face. That's what that's about. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That applies to us. Draw, the same God who drew near to Moses. He promised in James chapter 4, 8, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you as I do near to Moses. That is the most incredible treasure that you and can I have for all eternity, is the gift of God himself. You see, salvation is not just, and of course that's the most important part, it's not just that God forgives you and removes the disaster of the power and the guilt of sin. That is a disaster. But once that is removed, it's what he replaces it with. The gift of his own presence for you and me. I, I'm in your, in your life. And I want you to enjoy my presence as I enjoy your presence. Hallelujah. You know, R.T. Kendall wrote a book on the Lord's Prayer. And it's a wonderful thing. He says, you know, God is near. He's nearer to you than your hands and your feet. He's nearer to you than the breath you're breathing. He's very close. Very close to you. He is Emmanuel. He is Emmanuel. You're not alone in this world. 
He's closer than your hands and feet. He's closer than the air you're breathing. He said, you call and I will come. You take one step to me, God will take ten to you. You walk, he'll run to you. I'm close. Hallelujah. He's not a reluctant God. He tore the curtain from top to bottom, as Bryce told me. You look at it. When Jesus died, the curtain was torn, and there's a significant why it's in Scripture that it tore from the top down. In other words, man didn't tear it. Heaven tore it. Heaven tore the veil that separated us from God. God is keen for fellowship with you. He tore it from top to bottom at the cost of the, the blood of his son. That's how much he wants fellowship with you and me and how he wants us to fellowship with him. Hallelujah. And so it says, yeah, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And Joshua, it's very interesting, Joshua, when Moses left and went back to the people, Joshua, the one who was going to take over, he never left the tent. He loved the presence of God. He said, this is what I need when I'm going to take over from Moses. And he, it said he stayed there. He stayed by that tent. He loved that presence. He knew the life-giving power and authority of the living God. You know, in Mark chapter 3, there's a, there's a when they were feeding the 5,000, the people were coming and there was stress and pressure. They said so many were coming and going. They had no rest. Jesus says to the disciples a very significant thing about how you're going to get dressed. He said to them, come with me, number one, by yourself, number two, to a quiet place, number three, and you will find rest for yourself. You know, and today it's such a stress. You know, we, we're on tablets and we're on comets and it's, it's a massive industry, the sedative industry. Massive. And Jesus said, the secret is, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and you will find rest. And Jesus himself practiced that with the Father. In Mark chapter 5, 15, it said, Jesus, when there were the crowds and, and there was powerful manifestations of the kingdom of God and people wanted to make him king. And it said, but... But Jesus often withdrew. He withdrew to lonely places to pray. Often. It wasn't a, it wasn't now, but it was a pattern of his life. And it's interesting that, that, that the disciples watched this in his life. They saw the glory and the power and the awesome demonstration of the kingdom and the authority. And they Obviously, we're looking, what was, where is this power coming from? And eventually, the penny dropped, and they connected the dots. It was his prayer life, alone with the Father, his pattern, with the crowds and withdrawing to the Father, and hearing God, empowered, and going back into the needs of the world, healing the brokenhearted, setting captives free, released to the prisoner, and then he would withdraw. Even though he was, they were making him most, they wanted him to be king, to take on the Roman Empire. Everybody was going to make him. He withdrew to a lonely place and he heard God. You and I need to follow that pattern. 
especially if you're in ministry. I've, I've been in the mission field for 30 years. I've seen things, and I tell you, if you don't have that quiet time, Stephen Alford said, if you don't come apart to be alone with Jesus, you will come apart at the seams. You'll come apart one way or the other. You don't take time out, you'll burn out. You've got to get alone with the Lord. You've got to get alone with Him. God says, come unto me. All you are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. What a wonderful God. That's Emmanuel. That's the Emmanuel we separate, we celebrate over December. He is God with us close. And he's Emmanuel right through the year. Hallelujah. You know, um, I want to share something. And I think I've tweaked it a bit because there are young people here. And I want to tweak it a little bit and tell you. It says, God says, draw near to me. And I will tell you great and awesome things that you do not know. And you know, when you walk closely with the Lord, God tells you awesome and mighty things. Well, he told me when I was 44 that I was going to get married. It was a great and awesome thing, and there she's sitting there. <laughs> you know, they said in my household, I always, the husband has the last word, and it's yes, dear. <laughs> what else, dear? But uh, it happened in, 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 in my time alone with the Lord. When, when I first came, I came from Christ for the Nations in 1984. And God stopped me from going to Port Elizabeth and he redirected me to East London. It couldn't be clear if he took my collar and he stopped me. and said, don't move. You stay right here. And you don't go on to the mission field. He said, if you stay here and obey me, I will be with you in an in intentional way. And I will bless you in a manifest way. And so I've been here since 1984. And um, initially I was, I was single. I was, we had uh, the guys there, the bachelors had the digs up here in Smart Road. I had a little black dog. I was involved in missions. And I was very happy. I was incredibly happy. Uh, I think some from highway will remember those days. And... Uh, I got to a point where as a single person, and I had my dog, I had my friends, I had the work, I was extremely happy. I still commented to my friend. I said, you know, Marnie, I never knew as an adult I could be so happy. I never knew. The blessing was incredible. And I had no desire to marry. None. I was just a bachelor, and I thought, well, you know, I'm very happy, and I'm serving the Lord, and I'm at the prayer meetings, and I'm doing whatever, and I've got my friends, and uh, I'll be like Paul. I'll serve the Lord, and I'll die and go to heaven. And one day in my quiet time, um, oh, my cell leader, he was counseling me once, once so many weeks, and he said, you know, Neville, uh, we had a meeting with the elders, and they said they're very happy with your work. You know, you're serving the Lord, you're getting involved, you're doing everything. But uh, there's one thing they want you to do. And I said, what is that? No, they want you to take out the girls. I said, what? I said, you missed it. I have no inclination to do that. And anyway, strange enough, soon after that, things started to go tops 
unsettled. My boat was being rocked. And I started to notice it. <laughs> it was like supernatural. So there was a change. And then in my quiet time, things started to happen in that area. And that's why I'm saying a lot of young people do think, young adults do think, who is the right partner and does God deal with these things? And I happened to be, in my quiet time, I happened to be walking on the eastern beach, I remember. It was about 96. I was walking there and just talking with the Lord. And then we started, I started to turn around after about an hour and I started heading back, facing the harbor. And the most amazing thing happened. I had a vision of the Lord next to me. And it must have been God's spirit sustaining because it was incredible. To this day, I can't describe the glory. He was, do you know when a person is strolling, very gentle, just enjoying an astral, and, and Jesus had his hands behind his back. And his body was swaying, just gently, you know, swaying. And he was deep in thought. And he was like this. And, but everything, to, uh, there is no language can describe that glory. There is nothing, the, 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 the majesty of his being, the, the beauty of holiness. I can't, all I know, I, I, was, I was seeing something. And he was deep in thought. And he was looking to the harbor. But he was thinking deeply, like, you know, a person's furrowing it. But he was facing the harbor. You know how my wife came? She came on the ship and parked in the harbor. The Anastasis, it was a missionary ship. And only later on, I figured out what was going on. The Lord was looking at the harbor, and, and we were walking that way, and he, and he was thinking deeply. And he showed me how, whether he was going to go ahead with that. He could have stopped it. Because I was 44 already. How at 44 do you change your life from a bachelor to a married person? 40, it was a massive change for me. And, and they were walking and he didn't say anything. And then very soon after that, I was reading, uh, reading my Bible in my quiet time. I read Genesis 1. And as I was reading, read chapter 1, the next day, I jumped and I said, okay, I'm going to go to the New Testament. And the Holy Spirit said, don't jump. Follow from where you finished yesterday. So Genesis 1, next day I read Genesis 2. And there the words popped out. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. Very soon after, somebody said to me, Neville, there's a missionary ship in the harbor. And it's the Anastasia. Any of you know about the Anastasia medical ship? And I went and I said, no, go and look at that ship, you know. And so after work, I was working for BP and Shell at that time. And as I went down, I looked at it and I said, well, what's all this about, this white ship? And I said, no, it's a medical ship. It's doctors who do surgery and plastic surgery, dental, eye surgery. And they built a preacher gospel. So I said, ah. I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical person. So it's not, you know, I'm not involved in this. And lo and behold, long story short, they made me uh, the PRO for the ship. And uh, on the ship, when it came, I was helping interpret 
uh, because uh, the doctors are American and Germans and Australians, so they don't speak Kosa. And I speak it because of the work I do. And then they roped me in. I became the PRO for the ship. And they, and, uh, so they said, uh, well, you must stand between the doctor and the patient and ask questions, you see. And I was one. There were 25 of us. And I, uh, the day, I think it was 1st of January or somewhere, 97. I was standing there. There were 25 teams. And I was asking the patient, writing it down at the bottom, was a Polish doctor and I, interviewing the, pa uh, the patient and, uh, and interpreting for her. And uh, Rona came in. She walked through the door. And uh, I still looked at her. I said, oh, there's a frail little girl. You know, there's big lions here in Africa. She must be careful. And I still said to her, oh, what are you doing here on the ship? She said, no, her job is to um, take the patient off, you see. Help them get off and give him a ticket to say when you must come back for the surgery. And then I said, uh, what's your name? She said, oh, Lorna. I said, oh, well, here's the first patient. And that was the stop. But that's when the Lord was telling me, in your quiet time, I am preparing you to get married. And I tell you, if young people, if you're thinking, well, who will be my partner? How will I know? You trust God. You meet with him daily. And he knows what's on your heart. He knows what's right for you, and he'll bless you. He will tell you great and awesome things you do not know. Hallelujah. So I'm saying things very deep, the very hairs of your head, the very details of your desires, your emotions, your hopes, and your fears. He will walk with you. Amen. So I'll just share that story to encourage you that he cares for you, that he loves you. And he wants a deep and intimate walk with you. And I just want to say that um, I'm not putting a legalistic thing. You know, I'm not saying um, some people are, what they say, owls. You can spend time with you. You love to stay up at night. Other people are fowls. They love early morning. So everyone is different. You're different as your fingerprints. I'm not saying this is how you do it. All I'm saying, God, I want to draw near to you. Just tell him. I want to spend quality time with you. I want you to talk with you, hear you, and I want you to, sh to share my heart with you, and I want to know your heart for me and for the world around you. And he will do it. And I found, like that day I walked on the beach, it was like, it was unbelievably glorious. And I still thought to myself, because there was a glory around me, and I was so stunned, I kept saying, what did I do right? I was trying to figure out, what button? I pressed the right button. What did I do right? But I want to tell you, no two quiet times are the same. Some days you'll have glory. Other days you, there'll be nothing. Just you've got to trust him. But he's there. Hallelujah. No two persons are the same. So I'm not putting a heavy and say, you work it out to the Lord. Lord, I want quality time with you. Holy Spirit, help me. You know, God is delighted. That is something that will delight him. Amen. Dr. Stephen Alford, I learned this. Uh, I used to be a deacon in the Baptist Church, Chinese Baptist in Jovi, and the one thing I'm grateful for, they always taught me about the quiet time. They drilled it into my head. 
One thing he said, and I'll never forget, and, and it never became a bondage or a guilt trip for me, but he said something that stayed with me all the years, and I've tested, and it's true. He said, how do you know you're backsliding? How do you know you're drifting away from God? He said, it's your quality time that starts to fade. Your quiet time starts to fade. You know, I'm not saying you must be rigid at this time, you will ever... Things happen in life, but it becomes like unimportant. It's, it's, not, it's not an issue. It's like, yeah, you know, I can take it or leave it. That is a sign. Something's not right. If you love somebody deeply, you want to be with that person. You will want to be with that person. Amen. So we said, you know, check him out. Do I, do I cherish that? Do I cherish God's presence? Do I cherish his glory? Do I want to? If not, Lord, show me. Search me, O oh Lord. Search my heart. Psalm 139. See if there be anything in me that is that you're not happy with in my life. It's one of the indications. Hallelujah. Then, um, so that. And then the other one is the church and the glory of God in prayer. You know, when they watch Jesus moving and having his time with the Father and then going back. They knew, they watched him, and it says in Luke, one day the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray like you because this is the secret of this deep, deep fellowship with God. It's not just teach us, you know, analytically about prayer, but Lord, we've been watching you and the penny has dropped. We know where you're getting your power. We know what it's all about. It's about this, your prayer life. God, let us in on the secret. Jesus, let us in on the secret. And he taught them. He said, okay, when you pray, and you know the Lord's Prayer in Matthew? The Our Father, hallowed be your name, or may your name be glorified. What is interesting about the Lord's Prayer, and I just want to share this touching briefly on it. You can read it. The first priority is the Father's glory, that his name might be glorified. And you know how it is glorified. Jesus is saying it's glorified when the Father answers your request in the following areas. When your kingdom comes, when God's kingdom comes and his will is done, he is glorified. It answers that first request. Give us this day our daily bread. When he provides for you and you return in thanksgiving, he is glorified. It fills that first request. Amen. Forgive us our sins as we forgive. In prayer, bitterness and resentment is released and done away. Then God's forgiveness comes. God is glorified. He's not glorified in bitterness and resentment. And by the way, every one of us experience hurt. Everyone. People may, young or old, this world is a fallen world, and somebody will hurt you and me, often unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. And you know, it goes in deep in you like barbs of poisonous arrows. And it takes the grace of God to say, I forgive. And in prayer, the Holy Spirit comes and enables us to let go of that poison. And God is glorified when the love of God is manifest in the church, the people of God, and into the world. 
So it is. He's glorified in that. And then it is keep us from evil and the evil one. When God enables it, protects you from the works of the evil one, he is glorified. He demonstrates he's a father that is able to protect and to provide. In all those things, Jesus said, these are the areas where your name will be hallowed and glorified. And when you're praying that prayer, it is God's will. He answers it. You're praying in the will of the Father. And prayer has a direct link on all these areas. And I want to say this. If it, prayer hasn't gotten a, a direct effect on God being His name being glorified and His kingdom coming, His will coming, His providing, His protecting, and His release of forgiveness. If it's not, Jesus would never tell us to do something that's irrelevant, that these things would happen automatically. And Jesus said, no, these things don't happen automatically. It happens when you pray. It's a direct link. It must be. Because the opposite is then Jesus taught us something irrelevant. Amen. Are you, are you with me what I'm saying? I'm trying to just say that, yeah, God, it's for God's glory. And Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it that my Father, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. I will answer your prayers. And the result would be the Father will be glorified. Hallelujah. There's it in John chapter 14. That my Father may be glorified when I grant your prayer as you prayed in my name. We say, Lord, we're praying for your glory. And it says in um, 1 Corinthians 10, whatever, whatever you and I do, whatever you do, Paul says, do it to the glory of God. See, God's glory is a massive theme. You go to a concordance and look up glory or glorify. It's pages of it. Glory and glorifying God is a massive theme in the scriptures. It is central. It is what Jesus came for the earth. Because how do you know that was the motivation of the Son of God? Because at the end of his life, John chapter 17, before, his, before he was going to die, he said, Father, the hour has come. Which hour? The hour when he was going to die and go back. And he said, Father, the hour has come. I have glorified your name. I have completed the work you gave me to do, and I brought you glory on the earth. Now, Father, glorify me with the glory I had before the world. Five times the word glory is mentioned at the end of Jesus' life. And if you and I are linked to Jesus as a body is linked to a head, as a bride is linked to the, to the bridegroom, or a vine is linked, a branch is linked to the vine, we have to say at the end of our life, Father, I have glorified you on earth. I have completed the work you gave me to do. That is the motivation of why we were born and why we are on earth, to glorify God and to complete the work he gave us to do. In Psalm 19, it said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim his handiwork. Psalm 96, ascribe glory that's due to his name. Habakkuk, Numbers, and Isaiah 6, The earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And what is the glory of God? It said in Corinthians, I pray that they might see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is Jesus. When his knowledge of the, and his reign is over the earth, 
the glory of God is covering you. It's about Jesus. Amen. That's what it is. When a prophet said the glory of God shall cover the earth, they were pointing to a person. They were pointing to a person who was going to come and reveal the glory of the Father. And finally, as I come to land, I forgot how many minutes I'm going. The last part is God's work in showing his power and strength through prayer. You know, I've been sharing all this. What happened to my glove? Oh, yeah. I'm going to demonstrate something here. It is not in prayer. It's not, it's not I'm saying that God is leaning heavily on you and, and it's up to us. I'm saying this. The relation between prayer and the power of God is this. Do you see this glove? It's shaped like a hand. But if I leave it there, can that glove even move one centimeter? It's powerless. It's got nothing. It's empty. It's got the shape of a hand, but it's got no power. It cannot say, okay, can't you lift up something? Can't you even move your thumb? Powerless. Jesus said, without me, you can do zero. Nothing. Where does the power come? God is looking for the glove, you and me. And it's when we lean and are filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the hand of God. Then it is doing the hand is working. Amen. In prayer and in the gospel. It is because the power, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit in you, in the church that is praying, you will do great and awesome things. Hallelujah for 2024. Why? Because in it is the spirit of the living God. The strength is in, not in us, but in God. And we say, Holy Spirit, do in me and through me what flesh and blood can't do. Create in me what I can't create. Do in me and through me only what God can do. Hallelujah. And so he's looking for the glove, the power of God. It said, praying church brings glory to God. And do you know, another? as I, I close, it says here, it's not only the power of God demonstrated, because when the works are done, who receives the glory? Only God. Only God receives the glory. I remember when we were going through the riots in 1987. I lived through the riots. I was near Duncan Village. I saw, I saw the riots. I saw, I saw people getting killed. I saw machine gun going off at night. I lived through it. But I saw power of prayer. Church was praying. We used to pray. Some of them from they used to pray. You know, we used to pray nine o'clock Friday night till the sun came up Saturday for five years. Every Friday. They got us praying. Gary Crumpton got us and he said, If you don't pray, your gutters will run with blood. And he, he meant it. I saw it. I watched the trace in Belgrave, Chris, and I stood there and I watched the machine guns going. And I'm saying, um, God has good plans for South Africa. Powerful good plans. The Father and the Son are still interested in South Africa. And he has a great hope and a future. But he says, I'm going to work powerfully, but I'm going to do it through a praying church. I don't know in the five years, ten years' time, we're still in, I don't know how it will look, but I know there are good works. 
prepared for it to do. But there will be a direct link between the good works and prayer. It's not going to be without prayer. God's going to do it through a praying church, a praying people, a people who cherish his glory, a people who cherish his presence. Hallelujah. And so I'm saying, God is saying, I am calling you and I'm going to give you the gift of my presence. I will be there. When you pray, I'm in the midst. And often when we pray, I've never, you know, it says, and I close with it, it says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Isaiah 56, 7. And I will give you joy in my house of prayer. Joy. I've never left a prayer meeting depressed. Never. I've always felt built up in power and I could go into the world. This all-night prayer meeting we had last Friday. Man, it was great. I said, after this, Lord, I could stand here forever. You know, it's just brilliant. You know, when you're worshiping, do you didn't notice this? When you're really worshiping in sprint and the, the the Holy Spirit's on you and the, the worship team and you're worshiping in spirit of truth. You don't feel tired. You feel you could stand here for all eternity. Why? Because every atom in you is, is built to worship. You're, built, you're doing what you were, God created you to do. And prayer is a multifaceted reality. It's not just about a, a list, a desperate list. And it's not about treating God like Santa Claus. It's communing with God, siding with him, getting into his, with his purposes of heaven. Lord, your glory, for your glory, grant these things. And he says, I will bring you joy. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Hallelujah. So I'm saying, I'm doing all I can within me to urge you, seek God personally. As young people, seek him. As the older mature, seek him. Lord, I want to be with you. I want to carve time out for you. I want to build a relationship. And then the Lord says, well, you're building with gold, silver, and precious stones. You know, the others is wood, hay, and stumble. Wood, hay, and stubble is easy to find. It's very common. And I must say, the thing is about this, of having a time with the Lord, you will, it takes a deliberate, intentional I'm going to do this. And discipline. If I said you go find gold, silver, and precious stone, it's going to take a deliberate effort on your part. If I said you go buy, go get wood, hay, and stubble, it's easy. He says all around. The rubbish is all around. And that is why if you're going to say, Lord, I want this. I want gold, silver, and precious stones in my life. Then God said it's going to be discipline, spiritual discipline. And I'm not putting a heavy on you. Somebody said the difference between discipline and legalism. Legalism is when somebody puts something in and it doesn't produce life. It's just you're doing it out of whatever. But a spiritual anointed discipline is when you dig a furrow and you maintain it so that the river can flow to you. A river of life. That is discipline. When the spirit puts discipline in your life, it's so that life might come and you maintain it. Hallelujah. So let us stand as we close in prayer. And I want you just to speak to the Lord and, and talk to him about, Lord, I've been hearing about that you want a deep personal relationship with me. Some people call it quiet time. Some people call it, I prefer to call it quality time. And just say, Lord, 
I want that in my life. And the Lord wants it. He definitely, he says, I, I gave the blood of my son. I tore the curtain. I made every way possible for you and I to have a relationship. Will you contract with the Lord tonight and say, Lord, I want it. I want life. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you love the church deeply. You love your people. And I pray tonight, Lord, not just the sharing of the word, but the response to the word. The Lord's looking at the response to the Lord. He's saying, let him who has an ear hear what I'm saying to the church. Holy Spirit, work deep within us, that deep in our heart, we will be with, like Moses, a tent of meeting, where you meet with us and speak face to face, as a man speaks with his friend. And as Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and he just talked with you. Lord, will you do that? That in the years to come, they will see the glory of God here at Sterling. And that your presence and your glory and the awesomeness of your presence is here. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.